0: Welcome to the podcast where relationships, confidence, and determination all converge into an amazing heartfelt experience. This is Speaking from the Heart. Welcome back to episode number 58 of Speaking from the Heart. Today we'll have Leanne Firestone, who's the creator and director of the Neurodiverse Network. She is a neurodiverse adult female living in central Pennsylvania, and she's unique in that she went through most of her life without a diagnosis of her brain style differences. At 30 years of age, she made the self-realization that she's autistic and that she lacked a diagnosis that contributed to most of the struggles and trauma that has happened in her life. And by sharing her story, which she will share in this episode, along with the constant education advocacy that she set forth as her mission, she hopes to help the community as a whole and prevent her tale from being relived by others. She works as a hairstylist, nanny, vintage reseller, and also the nonprofit director of the NeuroDiverse Network. She lives with her husband and her six and a half year old daughter in the New Cumberland, PA area, where she's taking care of a dozen chickens, a snake, a bearded dragon, an elderly dog, and their newest addition, which is a puppy named Susie who's going through training to be a service dog for the family. And even in this episode, when we talk about the variety of different things that she does, the one common denominator that has been really the biggest focus for not only herself, but for others that go through this sort of diagnosis, which I have personally myself, is the fact that we have to surround ourselves with people that will support us every step of the way. And that no matter what the struggles are that we go through, we'll always make it to the other side, especially if we're being able to take care of ourself for the greater good of everyone else. But with that, let's go to the episode. All right, we're here with Leanne Firestone. Leanne, thanks for sharing your heart with us today.
1: Hi, thanks. I'm so happy to be here.
0: I am absolutely proud that you're here too. As one fellow neurodiverse individual to another, I'm really glad that we finally got to connect and I appreciate you taking some time to talk today because, Leanne, I already let the audience know everything about you and who you are and what you've been doing. I want to start off with this question because it's just been something on my mind and it's something that's happened to me the last several months, especially being diagnosed as autistic myself, especially since I learned about this sort of variable of neurodiversity it's been really interesting for me to kind of share this story with my audience but tell us a little bit about some of the things that you had gone through leading up to the point when you found out that you were a neurodiverse individual
1: all right well (laughs) it's a not so fun story I feel like a lot of the depression and anxiety that I have now that I'm releasing as an adult was caused because of my undiagnosed and misdiagnosed neurodiversity. I was diagnosed as having anxiety and depression, but wasn't really treated properly or with the right tools or given the right assistance that I needed. And autism diagnosis wasn't even on the radar for anybody because I would probably have been listed as more gifted in school. And I flew under the radar. I did just enough to pass. And I didn't want them to notice me as smart. I didn't want them to notice me as different. So I spent a lot of my life masking, which is a term that a lot of neurodivergent people use, which is basically creating this whole personality. If you think of someone in customer service, they create this fake persona, but I was doing that in every single aspect of my life. And I was adapting it to fit the people around me. So I was becoming so much of a people pleaser that I was kissing up to the teacher, doing extra things for friends that would actually hurt me in the end because I was giving too much of myself and it wasn't fair. But that's what I thought I was supposed to do. If I would have had a diagnosis and I would have known that it's okay to be different, I'm sure I would have anxiety and depression as they're always pretty comorbid with autism and ADHD like together diagnoses, it just makes for a hard life. So I might always have some anxiety and some depression, but it's much more controlled now that I understand my brain and I can get the proper tools and I can advocate for myself and I can tell practitioners and like healthcare professionals more about my brain because even I understand it more.
0: I had somewhat of a similar struggle going through school. I was misdiagnosed myself. I was always put in special education classes. I had IEPs done and it was told to my mother that, no, he's retarded. So I actually was told that and had to go through these exercises of relearning things. And it was really a challenge to really find that comfort and acceptance throughout most of my life until just Earlier this year, getting that diagnosis, I have to tell you that I haven't even told my audience this, that it was something that was very uncomfortable for me. Once I found out I was very angry, I was very distraught. Mm -hmm. I was pretty much in the gym, working out consistently and trying to just work out that frustration. When you found out that you were on that spectrum, how did you react? How did you feel? Did you have something similar to me, or how did you react to it?
1: Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I definitely think that late diagnosis and, like, self-awareness of autism or any neurodiversity comes with this grief, like why didn't I know this before? I've just been living my life in an unfulfilling way because I didn't have this key piece of information. So it does make you angry. It makes you really angry and sad with yourself. A lot of the people around me, it made me frustrated and just feel our relationships weren't even real. I don't know. I just started. A lot of people will say this. You go through all the motions of your previous life and try to put it all together. Like oh, I did that because I was autistic or this relationship didn't work because they didn't understand my sensory needs. And I was put in this situation because of my autism. It's so much easier to understand now and in the future, it helps me prevent those situations. So there's definitely a lot of grief and anger and sadness that I had to go through as well. And I feel like I'm still working through a lot of the trauma and working on how to unmask 100% and just be my authentic self in the way that that is without somebody judging me or well well they're going to judge me i guess it's without me worrying about the judgment like that's the part that i'm still i'm about 3 years into the self-awareness diagnosis journey and yeah I'm still working through it like still trying to work through that grief and the sadness of the childhood I missed out on because I was so anxious and stressed and wasn't able to just enjoy my life like I am now
0: I was going to ask you about that see if it was empowerment for you and it definitely sounds like it has been (laughs) yeah yeah I had somewhat of a similar experience too. I went back, I had several flashbacks of just different parts of my life where I've had these interactions with different people or different situations and how I handled them. And it was very comforting to know now that I was able to put a word or association Mm -hmm. with it because like you said, it almost feels like it's putting some of those connectors back together of why did it happen the way it did? But- you have a husband, you have a child as a result of just even going through some of the things that you have gone through. Do you find that maybe those have also been great influencers in your life, too, to kind of help you along to get to where you are today? Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship as it relates to yeah. being married, especially being on the spectrum? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because this comes up a lot, I feel like, because some people think that they will never be married as someone that's autistic. They don't want to ever be married. Some people have totally different views on relationships and living with people. So I definitely can't speak for everyone. But my relationship definitely started out really traditional. We met after high school and we've been together, I guess like 13 years or 14 years, a pretty long time. (laughs) And I moved right out of my parents' house in with my husband. So it's come up a lot in the past couple of years talking to healthcare professionals and things. I didn't really realize that he does take care of me in a sense that if I had lived By myself, all these years, I probably wouldn't really learn how to eat healthy or properly or have much of a routine. I probably have more depression. And I love him. We have great energy, but I don't even know if it's him or just living with someone like someone that's kind of holding me accountable to eat every day and clean myself every day. Like having a partner that I live with has been important for those reasons. And I never thought about it until more recently when people started asking me, like, Could you take care of yourself if you lived alone? And because when you start filling out things, if you want to apply for medical assistance or anything like that, a lot of those questions start coming up about your intelligence level and your ability to handle daily tasks and take care of yourself. And some of that stuff is difficult for me and the pressure of living with other people and living in society kind of makes me stay on top of it a little bit more. He has been beyond amazing through the whole transition because it was a big life shift to just be like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm autistic. And then as time goes on, I'm like, I'm going to make this my whole life. I'm going to be an advocate. I'm going to start this nonprofit. Are you okay with it? It just was a little bit of a shock, I think, at first. But he has been amazing and he has his own neurodiversity. So I think that that helps a lot because we're not the same. He's not been diagnosed as autistic, but he has different ways of thinking that I can explain my brain differences to him and we can see each other on the same level. And that's been really powerful over the past couple of years, because in the beginning of our relationship, when we were younger, things were definitely more superficial. And I'd say, as with any relationship, I think when you're like young in your early 20s and you start a relationship. We didn't have as much to work on. We weren't cohabitating together for years. We didn't have a child. Life is so much different now and we have to be so transparent with each other, but it's made us so much stronger to talk about our brains too. Instead of just being like, I just do this because this is who I am. It's I do this because my brain processes stuff differently. And this is what you can do to understand it better. And this is how you can help me. So, relationship wise, when people ask about it, I feel like the weirdest thing I can talk about is how he is able to squish me and apply pressure for me. That's something that people want to hear that maybe a regular partner want to do. We have some interesting things like that. Or when I'm able to just look at him and say, I am overwhelmed and I'm going to have a panic attack, he knows that that has to do with autistic burnout. And that means I'm on the edge and I've had too much socialization. And at this point in our relationship, he's able able to read my cues and read my stimming and read my body signs when I'm getting upset. And it's been amazing to have support like that. And I have to support him too. We're very supportive <laughs> of each other. I don't want it to come off as he is like my caregiver because I don't necessarily need one at this point in my life, but we do a lot for each other equally.
0: This is helpful because I think that And as you know, I've opened a coaching business myself to kind of help Mm -hmm. people go through those sort of different types of experiences. But being autistic myself, it's really enhanced and made me understand a lot more of working with different people. And sometimes we just need that other person to provide that level of support, of encouragement, not necessarily doing the day to day, which I know there's different function levels, even when it comes to autism or even being on the spectrum. OCD, ADHD, Asperger's being part of that spectrum now. I mean, I think all of us definitely have different levels of care when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I do want to ask about your child because I really think that living in that sort of household, you probably have a unique advantage of being able to show the differences between not only how you handle things, but maybe how the whole world handles things. And that's okay. So do you mind
1: talking about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. My daughter's six and a half now. So just to put a time frame on it, she was three, three and a half when I figured out that I was autistic. So the first few years of her childhood being an infant and then a toddler, I didn't realize I was autistic. So I didn't know why I was having so much sensory overload. I didn't understand that parenting rocks your schedule completely. And I don't like that. (laughs) I feel like Most parents will tell you you're just living day to day in flight or fight mode for a lot of their newborn time and the first year. And that's kind of what I did. And I just figured it out and made it work. And I knew my daughter was really different than everybody else, but I knew I was different than everybody else. So it was kind of weird. I tried to do all the typical parenting things, none of them worked. She didn't sleep in her own bed until she was five. We had to figure out other things like she was potty trained super young, but nighttime potty training didn't come for a long time. And I just couldn't do methods that other people did. We couldn't do timeouts or any kind of punishment that other people did. It had to be different because. I knew that whether she was autistic or not, I knew something about her was different and she needed a different way of parenting. I definitely followed a more gentle parenting approach and more of a natural parenting was kind of the group that we fell into. So we were these calm, gentle parents, but there was no help for neurodiversity and I didn't really understand all this stuff. So... As time went on and I figured out everything about me, I just knew as soon as I figured out I was autistic, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. My daughter's autistic too. Or she at least has ADHD and some other neurodiversity are making her life difficult. And all this happened during the pandemic too. I guess we didn't really mention that. Three Mm -hmm. years ago would have been pandemic time. So all this stuff that happened, I wasn't able to get her diagnosis. I wasn't able to get her help from the CAIU. And the intermediate units because they were flooded with children because the pandemic just happened and then it was opening up and everything was just a big mess because of having restrictions and masks and scheduling was more tight and just all of it. So I just kind of parented her the way that I thought I would want to be parented. And I feel like that's still what we're doing. But now that she's older, there's a lot more communication And I think I did have that advantage that some neurotypical parents don't have because I understand her brain. So from the beginning, I could be like, that kind of punishment's not going to work for her or that kind of lesson is not going to teach her. We need to teach her this way. We need to take a different route to this. Or I was able to see like, she's not having a tantrum. she's having a sensory meltdown. I was able to notice the difference. So instead of where another parent might be like, stop screaming in the store, I was like, Her socks are wet and I took her wet socks off and then she was the baby that stopped crying. It was like things like that that I knew bothered me. So I just kind of related it without having a title or like a description on it. And now that we do, it's a lot more helpful. And I wasn't necessarily in a rush to get her diagnosis because of all that, because I was like, well, I'm already parenting her in the way that they're going to try to teach me. I'm already learned it myself. And she was an OT. We did that immediately because occupational therapy, you can start without any kind of diagnosis for kids. So you don't have to be like, they're autistic or they have ADHD. You can just say they're having trouble with development or mood regulation or sensory sensitivities, or they're not sleeping. It could be a variety of things because occupational therapy helps with anything that is occupational. So not just the job, but to live. So anything, even feeding, speech, all of that is combined. And so we just started it and we started giving her resources and started providing her with sensory input and learning more about sensory sensitivities. And now we have all the tools. We <laughs> have the swing in her bedroom and the beanbag sacks around the house and all the headphones and everything we can utilize. It's taught me a lot about my own brain and taught me about all the tools that I can use for her and our brains are really similar, me and my daughter.
0: <laughs> no, it definitely sounds like it. And that, that would be definitely something that I wish I would have had growing up myself because it mm-hmm. probably would have made a big difference in some of the issues and some of the difficulties that I had as well, especially in the social area where yeah. I had a hard time being able to communicate those expectations. That was something that even the doctors said to my mom growing up as being a big struggle for me because of the sensory deprivation and all kinds of other things. But knowing all this now, you had started a nonprofit called the Neurodiverse Network, in which you are the creator and the director. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to that point that you wanted to start a non-profit?
1: Yeah. So, like I said, when I figured out three years ago, I immediately started, like, you know, I'm a fixer. That's the autistic part of me. So I started to try to fix myself. I was like, oh, if I'm autistic and never got any of these tools, that means I missed out on occupational therapy and I missed out on like physical therapy and I missed out on speech and oral and feeding. It was like my brain just started going and going, like, how can I get better at all this stuff? So then I hyper focused on neurodiversity and I started learning so much about it. And going through all the stuff with my daughter, with the state and services and practitioners and still trying to find her a counselor and a psychiatrist, it's next to impossible. It's very, very discouraging and very, very hard. So, I mean, I started to realize that resources were really hard to find. They're unattainable. And then I was like, we, I'm neurodiverse too, and neurodiversity is genetic. So, a lot of these parents that are looking for these tools and help for their children are also neurodiverse. So, they're being challenged with the system that even neurotypical people can't navigate well, but then they're neurodiverse too, and no one's helping them. No one is like, oh, you're autistic and you have an autistic daughter. We should help you more because you probably don't understand how to navigate these systems. They just think, oh, She's got it because she knows what she's doing and it's not that hard. But that part was really challenging. And then there was no resources. There's no parenting group for parents of neurodiverse kids. There are autistic parenting groups, but I found that they were too restrictive. I need more neurodiversity conversation. A lot of the parenting groups that I had found, there weren't even any locally because of the pandemic. So a lot of them are online.
0: I have to interject and tell you, too, that no, you're fine. I wanted to interject to tell you, too, that just even from some of the things that I've even researched, there aren't very many resources, even when it comes to adults finding out that they are autistic or on the spectrum later in life. And that's something that is starting to change now, but definitely has a long way to go. But I wanted to say that because it is something that is definitely needed. Not only in the area where we're living, which your network that you're starting is around the New Cumberland area, if I correct Mm -hmm. it. Yep. And there are definitely areas, not just in Pennsylvania that needs it, but other places as well. But I'm sorry, go ahead, continue, because I want to share that.
1: No, that's a really good point. And even right now, I just recently added over 50 resources on our website. Now I'm trying to really enhance that part of our website because that's the biggest issue that people contact me with is... I don't know how to find a PT. I don't know how to find a doctor. How do we find these grant resources to help pay for medical bills? How do we find communication devices for free? There's all these services, but no one knows how to find them. So we're trying to connect people with that. But even now, if someone had asked me, Who do you know that can do a diagnosis for an adult woman in the area to figure out if they're autistic or not? I would say I don't know. That's the sad part. There are a lot of people that won't take on adult diagnoses. I don't know if it has to do with the trauma, the misdiagnosis, the difficulty to diagnose that because of all those underlying layers, or if it has to do... I don't know. My health care paid for it. So it's not a financial thing. But a lot of people have this restriction that they will only diagnose under 21 years old. And speaking of that, that's when the services definitely end. Even if you're given that 18 to 21 year stretch after you turn 18, your services will definitely end after 21. But yeah, there is no adult. Services out there. There's a couple practitioners in the area that are counselors that will work with neurodiverse people specifically. And there are some OTs that are neurodiverse themselves that will work with adults. But it's getting your insurance to pay for that can be difficult or completely impossible and finding the energy. And it's hard to find the words to put, but it's kind of like demeaning and. It can be hard to get help with these kind of things. It can be hard for me to go in and be like, I have trouble cutting up my food. I'm almost 33 years old. Can you teach me how to do it? Like that can be really degrading for me to say because I've been doing it my whole life and I've never seek out the appropriate help. And obviously those practitioners are great, but even getting care and improving your life can be difficult when you've kind of done it this way and didn't realize that it was hard or that you could have had tools given to you. So I'm the big, big, big part of the network was started just to help relieve people of all those issues that I went through. It's like I want people to be able to go on there and look and see, oh, I can start OT with this doctor or there's a grant that might help OT with this therapist or there's a grant that might pay for my services that I can't afford or How do I get my kid on medical assistance now that they have this diagnosis? Things like that that I had to struggle through. I'm now creating templates for people and trying to get everything added to our website. Once we have a center, we want to teach people how to do this stuff. We want to have executive functioning days where people help each other do this stuff. We want to do so many things that aren't available at all now. That's why I just decided to start my own thing because... When I came up with the idea, the first person I told after my close friends and family was my accountant. And I was like, what would a nonprofit be the right route? And he was like, yes. And this is genius. And I want to help you because this has a place in my heart. And he's still on my board. (laughs) But yeah, he'll be a part of it as long as he can. And I think that having... Those people that were just, yes, we need this so much. And then we need all these other things too. I have such a long list of things that we can do for the community and do for each other that we're just getting started on it because we need resources. And, you know, my accountant said to me, and a lot of people said, well, aren't there other nonprofits doing this that you could just get under? Why don't you go work with somebody? Why don't you start an umbrella? And I said, yeah, there's nothing like that. The Autism Society in Harrisburg is the closest thing and they work under the umbrella of the National Autism Society. And the National Autism Society, they wouldn't help me because I want to help everyone. They can only support the autistic people. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to have to create my own thing because no one gets what I'm trying to do. and No one sees it yet, but they will. So I just decided to go for it and figure it out and then i've had all the support along the way and a lot of great people get involved and so many more ideas come to fruition because i'm involving neurotypical people and neurodiverse people and people with all different diagnoses on our volunteer team on our board it's so diverse that we're just getting all the feedback we need to create this resource that we'll just keep giving
0: it's almost like a big swimming pool And you're filling it with all these different people and different experiences so that you can provide all those different types of opportunities, no matter where you're at. And I love that because it is a very big pool to fill. And like you said, there are some areas where you could go to, but they're only narrowly focused. With that said, I noticed that you do more than just collectively provide those resources like you have educational resources, support groups, life improvement aids. Are there other things that people, if they would go look at your offerings that maybe they're saying, well, I might need this, but you're not offering that. Are you open to that sort of conversation?
1: Oh yeah. We want feedback because we're trying to write the grants and get the funding right now and get people behind our mission. So we need actual feedback to make sure the building we want to provide for people is going to give everything they need and make sure there is a real need for it. We want to have a sensory jam inside the space that all age people can use to learn about sensory immersion and sensory deprivation and learn about all the tools and things out there without having to purchase them for themselves. And The biggest thing feedback wise, we've got so far from every single person, because the one last question just said, like, can you give us any feedback? Or the other one said, why is the center important to you? And everything everybody said was about having a safe, comfortable space. And that's the big mission of the building. The center is to have the same space that we collectively go to all the time for all these different things. So that way a community can be built. If you are to think about it the way that a church is operated or even a gym or a community center like the JCC or a community center like an LGBTQ plus center, they are focused on creating a safe environment for people to feel comfortable. And that's what we want at the end of it. We do want support groups and we do want socialization and we want to teach people things. We want to give them tools, but we want to create this community that's a safe, accepting community at the end of the day.
0: Just to clarify for my listeners, Leanne said JCC, that's the Harrisburg Jewish Community Center, which I've been there myself and have utilized. Many different times for a variety of different things. And they do provide that sort of community, even though they are serving the Jewish population around there. But I just wanted to clarify that for those that are listening internationally, which we do have some people. But Leanne, we're almost at the end of our time, but I want to ask you this one last question because it's on my mind. It's something that's been on my mind for 30 plus years. And like I said, (laughs) just finding out not all that long ago myself about being autistic. It's something that was really a challenge for me. And you're building this coalition, essentially, to help people, which I find amazingly awesome and is going to serve so many people and make them feel like they're comfortable, they're able to be safe there. But there are still people out there that can't put a name to this sort of spectrum or this sort of issue that they have, and they're trying to figure it out. They're not quite sure what to do. They might be scared. They might be afraid. They might not be encouraged to be able to do that, and they might not have the resources, especially to contact, because it's very hard to find those sort of people. What would you say is your best advice and just one piece of advice that you would give to somebody listening to this that would be helpful for them to kind of navigate through this obstacle or this jungle of this whole network of medical providers and specialists and things of that nature, what would make it easier and more accessible for people is really my question to
1: you. I think that if you feel like you could be neurodiverse at all, you should start researching it. And I think you should listen to other neurodiverse people. You shouldn't just read books that are written by scientists and by Harvard graduates and by people that have done the studies. You should listen to books that were written by autistic people or people with ADHD or people that have the experiences and listen to, you know, sometimes that isn't literature. Sometimes it's listening to podcasts, listening to a TED talk, like things like that, that you can hear from actual neurodiverse people about how their brain works. And then if you feel like that relates to you, then I think that you should go further with that. And as far as medical professionals, I've found over the past couple of years that I need to be as transparent as possible. Sometimes I will lie or sugarcoat things to make them seem not as bad as they are. And I do really need to be clear about my pain and my depression and things that are going on and going in there with a lot of research and resources, if you find the right practitioner, they'll appreciate that. And they will like that you're trying to get your health in a better situation and they will want to help you. Sometimes it does take finding the right practitioner because as with a lot of our education and outreach that we want to do, we want to teach people more about neurodiversity and that it is all around us and that little signs of it are here to show us that our brains are different. It's not just something to be ignored and I think the more that everybody's talking about it, the more outreach we have out there, the better it's going to be.
0: Absolutely. And I think that it's important to continue to have that outreach, especially talking to other people that might not know what they exactly have, but at least going through it and see maybe that might be something that they should talk to somebody that's qualified to make that sort of determination too. Mm-hmm. But starting somewhere, even that is it is talking to other people, I think is vitally important. Leanne, I want to give you the last few minutes here to pitch the Neurodiverse Network. If people are interested in donating, I would love for you to share that. If there's anything in terms of events that you typically do, maybe you want to share some of those aspects as well. But I want to give you the last few minutes to pitch that to our audience, especially if they want to learn more and how they could get in contact, too, if they have any questions. Cool.
1: Cool. Thank you. So I do want to tie it in a little to the last question you just said, because a big thing about our center is we don't want to really have restrictions. We don't we are trying to get all this funding because we want it to be free. We want no financial restriction. We don't want a monthly membership. We don't want pay for classes. We don't want to have to give people a sliding scale. We don't want to have to ask about their income. We just want to be able to give back. So we're trying to get the finances for that, but having no restrictions like finance or diagnosis. When we have a neurodiverse work group, you don't have to be diagnosed to come. So that opens the doors to anyone, someone that thinks they could be neurodiverse, but wants to learn more. And that's the part of the center and the whole nonprofit that is very different, that we're really open to helping anyone that wants help. I don't think people are going to take advantage of that. If someone wants help, I want to help them. And there's so many different types of brain styles to cover with the word neurodivergent. So if anybody is interested in helping, we always are accepting volunteers and even new board members. Every year we change our board up if we feel like we should. So every year we have a board reassessment and we're always taking volunteers and committee members to get involved. You can email me at leanne.nbnet.org at any time to volunteer or get involved. Even people international in other states. We're a brand new nonprofit. So we take any help we can. Anything is helpful. People that would like to help us in a financial way, the best way right now would be to sign up for a monthly donation on our website, even if it's only five or ten dollars, just showing that we have a lot of supporters that are willing to subscribe to this monthly donation to support us in the future as we grow is really helpful to have right now as we're applying for funding and grants. We'll be setting up a square store and it will have all of our handmade merchandise, 3D printing, fidgets, and a bunch of logo items and things like that. We're going to be putting other tools and aids on it as time goes on, but to start, it'll be a little simpler. And then on our website, we have a up dated event calendar that we update pretty much every week that has all of our events on it. So even when our is open, that will be the way that people figure out what's going on. So we're hoping they're able to log onto the computer and see that during this slot time, we have open gym play for kids. During this time, we have open cafe time for adults and they can see when our seminars are, our classes, our support groups, and we're kind of hoping to operate off of the event calendar. So we already have amazing things on there. We've been doing monthly support groups and social events, walking clubs, crafts nights, Lego nights. I don't even know. We probably have 15 or 20 different events that are going on regularly and throughout the year. So we've got a lot coming up and we'll be having a sensory Santa event. I imagine that will be booked up really, really quickly, but we're going to try to do some events around the holidays too, to make things seem more inclusive in this area and give people an opportunity to have holiday experiences that they might not get otherwise because of all the sensory challenges that are out there in the world.
0: (laughs) Can you give the website for those that want to access it too? Yes.
1: Yes. We tried to keep our website very simple. It is (laughs) ndnet.org. And you can basically find everything on there. That's how you donate. That's how you find the event calendar. That's where you'll go to find additional resources, including our local Facebook groups and some other even national and international support group kind of resources on there. And if anybody sees that and would like to be added to our additional resources, you should also reach out to me as well, because we just need to meet and make sure we all have the same goals and you can be added onto our resource site.
0: Thank you, Leanne. And I'll make sure that it's also put in the episode notes for my listeners. You can go check that out as well if you'd like to access that and anything that Leanne had mentioned. But I want to say this, somebody that has been on the neurodivergence adventure myself and trying to figure out where I fit in that grand scheme of things, I want to say thank you for starting something that is desperately needed in this world so that we can all feel a sense of being included and being able to work through some of these things because they are challenges. And I'm glad that in the last 10, 15 years, there's been a lot more awareness of it, but I think we have a lot more work to do. And I think you're one of the trendsetters to continue to do that and provide that sort of framework, especially given your unique experiences to your family, which I really appreciate you sharing that along with the Neurodiverse Network. But with that said, Leanne, thanks for being on Speaking from the Heart, and I wish you much success in the nonprofit world and continuing to build this presence in the community. I really appreciate our time.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you for having me here.
0: Thanks to Leanne for sharing her inspirational story of how she's overcome so many different types of neurodiversity, especially in her life, to eventually get to where she is today helping others to realize the potential that they have inside themselves to overcome and even provide some different types of activities that normally other people, especially going through these sort of things, might not actually be able to do as a result of having those sort of different types of triggers happening in their life. And I really appreciate the fact that she has been really vocal in this episode about the fact that we can really have anxiety and depression take control of everything that we have in our lives, especially when we have this sort of diagnosis, whether that is ADHD, OCD, autism, Asperger's, whatever the case might be, is something that we often can find ourselves in a completely different mindset, which I even express in this episode as being completely angry about for a period of time. And I think those are some of the initial reactions that we have as a result of going through all these different types of things in our lives where we think that we had the answer to begin with, but we really don't. And that's really the focus of what I want to pull out of this conversation because with many of the things that we go through in our life, sometimes we often don't realize the true magnitude of what we can ultimately accomplish if we don't understand what the motivations are in the first place that got us there. I think that it's something that we learn in different ways in which we achieve different successes. And being able to take care of yourself is really the pivotal point that we have to make in any sort of conversation. And I know, it's very simple to say, yes, please take care of yourself. Please make sure that you bathe yourself. Make sure you brush your teeth. Make sure that you dress yourself presentably. Make sure that you come to work on time. Make sure that you follow all the rules and regulations that are related to your job. Make sure that you eat. Take care of yourself in terms of your sleeping. Make sure that you take care of your friends, your family members. Make sure that all of that happens so that you do not have anything wrong in your life whatsoever. I know, that sounds all wonderful, doesn't it? But for some people, it is not wonderful. It is very much a struggle day to day to do simply the things that are going on in our lives. I know for a fact that even after I struggled with all the things that were related to my attempt to end my life a few years ago, one of the constants of it was even during the COVID pandemic, trying to essentially get up, dress myself, to even work throughout the day. And for me, especially somebody that has been through so much in their life and really wasn't sure how to actually go about doing some of these things that are truly necessary to create that quote-unquote authentic self. I think I was even more angrier when I found out about my anxiety and my depression being the root through my autistic abilities that I have. Autistic abilities? Did you misspeak, Josh? Don't you mean autistic disability? Well... I could view it that way if I really want to, and I had a choice, which I have talked about in a variety of different episodes, in which I had the right fork in the road and the left fork in the road to determine whether I really wanted to go down that path. But I think I realized that I really don't want to go down that path at all. And as a matter of fact, I want to keep making my autism be something that is an ability to enable me to become something that I never thought possible. And I think Leanne even instills that if some of her family, including her daughter, in which we can learn how to create different ways in which we achieve success. And sometimes going through those different types of things in our lives, those resources that we have that are available to us, doesn't always mean that we will be able to fix it the first time. But we have to understand that we want to fix those things, that we want to be open to change that we're willing to become something that we never thought possible, even with all the things that are holding us back. That's what this is all about, is about understanding the coaching that is involved with making us go from one point to the other. But we have to be open to that change, no matter what kind of brain style that we have. I know that for many of us, we can easily say that this is the era in which we are just saying that, yes, Brain styles are just a fad. Maybe we should just forget about them and go back to the way it used to be. Well, imagine this imagine that you are actually subjected and persecuted for the way that you think. Sound familiar? It's happened for over hundreds of years in not only our civilization in the United States but in the human civilization for thousands of years, going back to even the biblical proportions. Now, if you don't believe in Jesus or not, that's not really the conversation that I'm trying to make. But what I am trying to make as a point is that we have been subjected to things in which we don't understand. And when we don't understand them, we live in a life of fear. I think that Leanne's mission, especially with the Neurodiverse Network, is to challenge that fear. It's to challenge something that we often think about as being taboo, something that we often think as not wanting to deal with in the first place because it's too scary to be what we are going to become on the other side of that. It's really about being able to understand that being safe and comfortable in an environment in which we can thrive in is fulfilling one of the most basic tenets in our whole entire existence, which is why we have to start researching, which is why we have to start learning, continuing to have the conversations that are often tough and difficult to have in the first place. And you know what we do when we don't do that? We put our mask on. Put on the mask of fear, knowing that if everybody thought that we were scared, they would never ask us to do anything else. If we put on that mask of feeling like we are comfortable and we're confident, then people are going to come to us always thinking that we're comfortable and confident, which in itself might sound good, but might not have the best underpinnings underneath that to really move forward. But really, what we're talking about is when we mask, what are we creating as a personality? What are we creating? That isn't truly us. The whole purpose of my business, Your Speaking Voice, is to find that untapped potential that we normally don't think about. We all come at it from different experiences, different viewpoints. But now that we talk about brain styles, now we have to talk about the conversation of how we really learn. And we all learn in different ways, whether that's visually, by example, by someone actually doing it for us and then practicing it on your own, or just completely learning it from scratch. What really matters the most is that we continue to have this dialogue in which we challenge the status quo, and that's really what this is about. We've been doing that for so long. We've been able to overcome what really is grief, anger, and sadness sometimes, especially when we get to the lowest points in our lives, in order to then have that light bulb turn on in which we create our authentic self. We need to be able to take care of ourselves above all else. Because if we're able to do that, we're able to help so many people, just like what Leanne is doing right now, with not only the sensory activities that she provides, but she does it for not only adults that are finding out later in life, just like me, but she's also finding them out for the children. And the children, just as if we have even said in other episodes in which we talked about the importance of education, children are the future in which we can detail so much and create a story that helps others and prevents others from ever going through some of those experiences ever again. And that is what this is all about. It's understanding what we can potentially provide and create in our own lives becomes something of what we can overcome no matter what kinds of things that we're thinking about. Because if we can even have people and animals in our lives that create that support system, we're definitely creating ways in which we can define our own success we can start researching and learning from others to create some of the best things about ourselves, some of the best resources that ever existed on planet Earth. And I think to that point, that helps me and my brain style create some of the most amazing things that are yet to come. Thanks for listening to episode number 58 of Speaking from the Heart, and I look forward to hearing from your heart very soon. Thanks for listening. For more information about our podcast and future shows, search for Speaking from the Heart to subscribe and be notified wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit us at www.yourspeakingvoice.biz for more information about potential services that can help you create the best version of yourself. See you next time.